Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Toogie's Take Podcast. We are back again after a devastatingly sad weekend in the world of hockey. And we're going to talk all about it, especially Endo and I. We're going to talk through our emotions here today. And Sin is here to either try to make us feel better or laugh at our misfortunes. I'm not, I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure either. We'll see how it goes. that's what friends are for right it's like well i might make you feel better i might twist the knife a little bit you know what's it gonna be what's the in between but gentlemen uh god and and no i'd ask how you're doing i know i know we're we're feeling the same way right about now uh you're probably feeling a, a little bit worse and again we'll talk about it in a little bit but sin how was your weekend as a as a as a neutral as an as a as an innocent bystander watching the carnage, how was your weekend? <laughs> exciting hockey. I got to enjoy some exciting hockey, not going to lie. I mean, that that, whew, that Calgary-Dallas Game 7 was wild. Jake Ottinger's a beast. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, I, I've, I've really been enjoying I, uh, the last couple of years watching playoff hockey without having a horse in the race. It's kind of nice. It's kind of freeing. I just get to enjoy hockey. And, man, if I wish there was a way to, like do that with the sharks but i just like care too much about them it's uh, you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like fuck (laughs) that's really uh what helped soften the blow for the bruins there a little bit was you know being able to watch other games and just enjoy it yeah for what it is but again we have a lot to discuss today so we are going to kind of get right down to it no viewer questions hopefully those will come back uh, later on this week when we will, in theory, have less to talk about. But before we get going with the topics at hand, again, as always, this podcast brought to you by our lovely friends at Manscaped. You can use code Tuki at checkout for 20% off your order and free worldwide shipping. Again, that is code Tuki at checkout. T-O-U-G-I-E. It's in the name of the podcast. You should know this at this point. And again, the only thing that we can say, it's it's getting to be that time of year. I it was nearly air conditioner season for me here, and that's right. It's Maine, most places, indoor air conditioning. What the hell's that? They said for years, even up to the 70s and 80s, and it's torture. It's beer torture. It was very close to that. And when it's being that, you know, when it's that hot, you gotta you gotta take care of certain things. You gotta help, gotta help cool down the body temperature a little bit. You're hitting the beach, you gotta look your best. I got nowhere else to go with this because I'm still a sad boy from the weekend. It's 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 circular deodorant and all the other lovely things that you can get at Manscaped. I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I have two Manscaped products, and they're fantastic. I have the Lawn Mower and the Weed Whacker, and they're both terrific. The Weed Whacker is uh, the more, uh, you know, uh, reluctant investment, because you don't want to reach that age where you finally have to trim your ear and nose hair, but here we are. You've reached that (laughs) age. I've uh, I haven't gotten to ear hair territory, but nose hairs it's getting there. It's, it's it's not like you know Grandpa Pickles in the Rugrats territory, <laughs> where I'm pretty sure there was an episode where the kids were uh, imagining that they were like swinging oh, off yeah. of his nose hair, oh, like yeah. like it was why do like I it was a jungle? Remember that? <laughs> like vines in a jungle or some mm. shit. Like oh. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty gross. <laughs> it's oh. like it's pretty gross, but. <laughs> Oh, look of disgust! I need a minute. On Endo Mills' face. Oh, that's gross. Rugrats. That is, that 
that face is going to be the thumbnail of this episode, by the way. Rugrats was, was incredible. You think back to it. was that, a hell of a show. And you're like, why was, was Angelica such a bitch? Oh, shit, her mom might have been an alcoholic. Because mom was a hoe. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen, manscaped.com, by the way, Code Tookie, have you ever seen, like, the super weird, like, uh, the, the, freaking, what the hell? It's not copy pasta. Oh, but, like the conspiracy theories and like how it's yeah, like, like the, the spooky pickles story is like conspiracy and all the demons over like brainchild and like whatever. I'm obviously butchering right. the crap out of this, but like yeah. Right. Basically there are um oh god, was it like a creepypasta or some shit like that? That's what it's called. Uh yeah. and basically people have them for everything, but the rugrats especially, and the one that always caught on that makes me laugh every time. Is that, yeah, Angelica has made up all of the other kids in her mind. Um, <laughs> because of a horrible life with her alcoholic parents <laughs> and, like, Phil and Lil, the twins. Really, the, the, the parents had a miscarriage, so Angelica's like, well, I can't decide if it was going to be a boy or a girl, so thus it's <laughs> Phil and Lil, the twins. <laughs> you can't choose, so it's both. Oh my god, it's like Tommy was born out of, like, fetal alcohol syndrome, which is why his head's shaped weird. <laughs> oh. oh, god. I so, yeah, if you had... I forgot about that! If you guys, uh... If you guys haven't looked that up and you want a great laugh, that might be, in terms of, like, funny internet nonsense... The Rugrats Theory Creepypasta is my favorite thing right next to the Does Bruno Mars is Gay article. It does is happening. Those are my, those are my two favorite things. Oh, and then so you look confused by that. And it, what, it, what that is for the Bruno Mars thing is a, a computer-generated article about whether or not Bruno nice. Mars is gay. Now, I love AI-written articles. Have you seen the AI-written obituary? No, but oh, here, you know what? You know what? In, in lieu of viewer questions, allow me to read to you all from eight years ago, <laughs> the majesty known as Does Bruno Mars is Gay. Bruno Mars is Gay is the most discussed in the media in the few years ago. Even it has happened in 2012, but some of the public still curious about what is actually happening and to be the reason there is a rumor come out about his gay. At the time, he became the massive social networking rumor. <laughs> the public, especially his fans, are shocked. He just came out with his bad rumor, which spread massively. This time is not about his music career, but his bad rumor. The rumor is out of standardized of hoax. <laughs> According to the last reported, the singer revealed himself as homosexual. Do you still believe or not? This rumor is really much talked about by people, even in a person of his fans. <sighs> oh, God. Satuki. The internet Satuki. is an amazing does place. Bruno Mars is gay? <laughs> I does is have to know. <laughs> oh, God. I had to look up the Rugrats theory, by the way, too. And just, uh, I'll let you read more about it, but here, here were the big things. Chucky died in 1986, along with his mother. That's why his dad's a nervous wreck all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh. God, Tommy was born in 1988, but he was still born. That's why Stu is constantly in the basement making toys for the son he never, who never had the chance to live. Goodness gracious. <laughs> who writes this shit? Who does? And then, yeah, the DeVille thing. God damn it. How did we get here? 
Okay, hold on. Since we're on this topic, I'm going to read you the AI written uh, obituary. Oh, God. Because it's fucking okay. brilliant. All right. Okay. Brenda Tent retired from living at the age of old. <laughs> surrounded <laughs> by <laughs> surrounded by family and natural causes. <laughs> a, libra- a librarian from birth. Brenda was an avid collector of dust. She had a sweetheart and married her high school. She loved having hobbies and helping her sons to be disadvantaged youths. <laughs> she had no horses but thought she did. The church gave her a choir because she sang like a bird and looked like a bird, and Brenda was a bird. <laughs> she was a bird. She owed us so many poems. <laughs> the funeral will be held in 1977 at heaven. In lieu of flowers, send Brenda more life. I forgot about this. I haven't heard of this. I haven't heard that in a long time. Oh. It's so it's impossible to, to choose a favorite line out of that. It's literally Brent- impossible. <laughs> because holy shit. She looked like a bird. She sang like a bird. Brenda was Brenda a bird was is my favorite. Bird. If you were wondering why the episode title was Brenda's a Bird, now you know. <laughs> she didn't have any horses, oh. but she thought she did. Reminds me of um, How Was Babby for That old meme. Old um. meme. Holy crap. How Was Babby for How girl get pregnant? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Just, uh, I am sorry next. for your lots. Yeah, everybody, this is a hockey podcast. Manscaped.com. Use code Tuki, use code Brenda. Uh, <laughs> before we get to the playoffs, two major things happened today, gentlemen, and they both revolve around the head coaching positions for two different teams. And we will start off, Sin, with the news out of Vegas, as the Vegas Golden Knights have fired head coach Peter DeBoer after three Seasons with the team. They sure. also let go of assistants Ryan McGill and Steve Spot. Which I knew would bring a lot. Explain Steve Spot and his reputation for those who haven't gotten to experience him as a coach. Steve Spot has the shittiest power play on the planet Earth, but it's he's kept afloat by stretches where it does good. That's it. He has the worst power play, but stretches it does good. Like one seat, like I think in like uh, like the, the last year. Before he retired, there's a nice little month stretch when Carlson was crushing it on the power play. And then, of course, you know, the four goal uh, thing against Vegas. He is the worst power play coach on the planet. And Peter DeBoer just keeps him around. <laughs> he just follows Peter. He's got he's got some kind of blackmail on DeBoer. That's the only explanation. So DeBoer had one year left on his deal. Uh, with his time in Vegas, so we don't know, obviously, if he'll look to take a new position, but with his time in Vegas, he went 98-50-12 in three seasons. Of course, he replaced Gerard Gallant in January of 2020. Had a better winning percentage, by the way. So, <laughs> the Peter DeBoer move in general is still one of the most questionable things I think I've ever it seen. It is. It absolutely It's so weird. It's it's so weird that Vegas did that. I don't understand it. They lose to the Sharks in the playoffs. There were players for Vegas mentioning him not being well-liked, and then they sign him. It's it's completely bizarre. I, I genuinely like didn't understand the move in the first place. 
Yes, they had the winning record at the time, but I, I don't know. Like it could have gone better, but how else was it really going to play out? I don't know. I just think you know what's impressive to me is that the Sharks got him fired twice. That's great. <laughs> Fair <laughs> that they did. So, in in terms of coaching. And we'll talk about the other move really quickly, but uh, DeBoer is now the fourth head coach to be fired since the regular season ending, ended following Jeff Blaschel in Detroit, Mike Yo in Philadelphia, and of course Barry Trotz by the Islanders earlier this month. Uh, the Jets are still looking, Chicago's still looking uh, as well. Of course they have interims and uh, potentially not sticking around. The other move is that the Islanders did make their hiring, and it was an internal hiring. Lane Lambert is the new head coach of the New York Islanders. He has been an associate under Barry Trotz for the past four seasons with the Islanders. He was an assistant to Trotz on the 2018 Cup winning Caps team uh, and really was just kind of the Barry Trotz understudy. You know, he's 57 years old. This is his first coaching job, has head coaching experience and assistant coaching experience in both the WHL and the AHL between 2002 and 2011. And since 2011, Nashville, Washington, and the New York Islanders. He has... Ben, uh, basically Barry Trotz, right-hand man the entire time. But what happened the last time Barry Trotz was fired and a team hired their understudy, his understudy? That was Todd Reardon and the Washington Capitals. And Caps fans will tell you, holy hell, was that an awful, awful time. So, look, this might work out better than that, but... I oof, I don't know. I mean, Todd Reardon lasted a season and a half. I believe a season yeah. and a half. So, you know, again, for, for Vegas, you know, you talk about who might be hired. Uh, I know, obviously, it's in. You saw this. Barry Trotz's name being thrown out a lot. And that, They're gonna get I feel like, would be a tremendous fit. But be. there's someone who you think Vegas might go for. Absolutely. They'd go for Quenville because, of course, they would. Um, I honestly like they should go for trots, but I would not be surprised that they go for Quenville. Maybe it's just my own disdain of them, but I would not be surprised if they would go for him. They don't give a fuck. Like they've clearly shown that they don't give a fuck about anything besides winning. They don't give a fuck about player loyalty. They don't give a fuck about being loyal to coach anyone, anyone. They would do it if they thought that he could, you know, help them win. And yeah. You know, U Tree's video, that being urinating tree for those <laughs> who do not such know. A great he, video. he just put out a video over the weekend about the history of the Vegas Golden Knights and literally how they personify Vegas and essentially a gambling addiction perfectly. Just the idea of excess. Keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. So make sure you check out that video if you haven't. But yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Who the hell knows who they go for with the, with their new head coach? It's just it's so weird that the Boer move, you know, going as poorly as it just it, it's such a weird time. The hiring in the first place, firing him after three seasons. I mean, I can't say it's the wrong move. I don't think he was the right head coach for that team. And then the Islanders kind of playing out what failed in Washington. Lane Lambert might work out, but odds are against him. It it's it's a weird time for teams like uh, for teams like Vegas and the New York Islanders, mm-hmm. both missing the playoffs this year and these changes as a result. But wanted to touch up on that 
again, super, super weird stuff with Vegas, but that's that's Vegas' M.O. We will get into talking about the playoffs, though. The Stanley Cup playoffs, because the first round, gentlemen, has come to a close. And in rather dramatic fashion. I want to start off, though, in talking about this Western Conference series, Edmonton and Los Angeles. Because, Sin, you predicted that L.A. would win this series in seven, and you were very, very close to being right. It did go to Game 7. The Oilers do win that game 2 to nothing. Mike Smith uh, with the shutout, so fair play to him. In this series, Connor McDavid becomes the second player in NHL history uh, to record six multi-point games in a series. Ridiculous. Uh, he is the first to do it since 1983. Yeah, obviously we'll talk about Edmonton. Were those the Islanders' years, '83? Yeah, oh. yeah, those those were the Islander uh, Cup winning year. I'm not sure who uh, who put that up though. I didn't see actually yeah. who. Interesting. Uh, I would love to see. Had those numbers on their side, but yeah, McDavid finishes round one with 14 points Ooh. in seven games. L O L O L O L. Mike's off. Wow. <laughs> there you go. Unreal. <laughs> so we'll talk more about Edmonton in a moment. But then you again you predicted LA might be able to pull this off. What are your thoughts now on the Kings and how this series went? Honestly, it was kind of how I expected. Um they're going to have the games where they're going to get blown the fuck out because Edmonton's Edmonton, but Edmonton is also Edmonton. They're super inconsistent. A team like LA had a chance to win it and they did. Game 7. They, you know, they couldn't find the back of the net. Mike Smith played good. Connor McDavid was on another level in that game. He simply was on another level. And God, I it was I think it was Jay Fresh who put together a couple of videos of just all the touches um, and like important touches that McDavid had on the night. He's just like it's absolutely electric. If you think about it all the time when you're showing that's four minutes total of time that McDavid's being an absolute difference maker. So like that's at least, you know, one fifth of his ice time that he's being a, a an absolute difference maker that's incredible you know from a hockey standpoint the kings i think shocked everyone um i it was my this was like my throwaway pick like really i was like yeah kings and seven because it'd be funny as shit and i'm closer than i thought i would get and I, i got so close i wanted it to be true but good for mcdavid going to the second round and unfortunately probably won't see him request a trade now damn <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean that was kind of my thought with the Oilers is that I got to be honest for Oilers fans. I mean, hey, I'm happy for you. Like again, to not waste a player of the caliber of Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl is obviously a positive. But long term, uh, this might mean that Ken St- uh, Ken Holland stays at the helm, and I don't think that's what's best for your team. I might be proven wrong. You guys might be raising in the cup a little bit over a month from now. We'll see what happens. I mean, Jay Woodcroft has certainly worked out very well as the head coach of this team, though. So they got that going for them. For the Kings, wanted to kind of talk about what's next for them. And I don't think it's necessarily a a conversation with negative connotations. They were playing with house money. Yeah. Uh, They probably should not have made the playoffs this year. Uh, Certainly helped out by Vegas struggling the way that they did. Uh, and the inclusion, obviously, of the uh, the Seattle Kraken in there. Although I'm actually not sure what the record was against the Seattle Kraken. But all in all, you know, we we look ahead for the Kings. You know, you lose Dustin Brown to retirement, kind of sucks. Not 
as big of an impact player on the ice as he was. You know, there was that time where he was peak Dustin Brown, and then he started to dip, and it's like, man, he's going to fall off. But then he had that resurgence. He got those few extra years out of him. Unfortunately, it was at the same time where the team was kind of falling off. Yeah. But they have all their draft picks. They have a good young team. Uh, you know, in terms of, like, Andreas Athanasiu, Alex Edler, Oli Mata, and Troy Stetcher are their biggest UFAs. RFA-wise, uh, Adrian Kempe is going to get paid, and rightfully so. I mean, he was a big-time performer. Like, they don't have this... Uh, do, do I want to use arduous, for lack of a better term? It's not a difficult path for them moving forward. No. Like, they're still on course with this rebuilding, with this retooling. You do have the question of, like, okay, Jonathan Quick, yeah, how much longer does he have? 904 save percentage in this series. But I really... I don't know, I... If I'm a Kings fan, I'm nothing but optimistic moving forward. Yeah, I mean, how could you not be? Honestly, what's next for LA? Stay the course. Because what you're doing is working. You made the playoffs. Oh, sure, maybe you don't get as you know early of a pick as you might have preferred. But you're already pretty. You got Byfield. You still have Turcotte. That's a big question. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do with Turcotte? He hasn't quite panned out yet. And I'm wondering if they look to like yeah. use him as a piece in something to grab. So that's need. what I was going to bring up, right? Now, Turcotte's only 21 by the way. His birthday was in February. He just turned 21. Uh, This is a team that already has a lot of pieces that it's like, if you make the right choice and you ship out the right pieces to get better, you're right there. You know, I mean, you could say the idea of like, well, hold on to everybody, make sure you have the best of the best, but they're in a position where, yeah, they could probably afford, especially with some of those forward prospects. Mm-hmm. Here's who they have listed in the minors for forward prospects. Alex Turcott, Jared Anderson Dolan, Sam Fogamo, Akil Thomas, Tyler Madden. Uh, obviously on the back end, guys like Jordan Spence are in the mix. They have a ton of pieces to play with, to shuffle around, make some moves if they have to. Um, you know, even if like free agency, the big thing has been like, oh, Philip Forsberg, will he reunite with Victor Arvidsson? They can afford it, and then, hey, move on from a forward prospect and, you know, recoup draft picks, re, you know, move those prospects to get a player. I think they're in a very, very interesting spot. It's just how aggressive is Rob Blake going to be yeah. in terms of risking some potential futures to really push this team forward. I think maybe it depends on his optimism about maybe Jonathan Quick being the guy. He's got one year left after this, 36 years old. And they don't really have a clear, concise answer on who the guy is in net because I don't think it's Cal Peterson. Although Cal Peterson uh, would disagree, and so would Rob Blake because uh, Cal Peterson has a new contract kicking in starting this upcoming season. Three years of a $5 million cap hit. What? Yep. I had no idea that was a thing. That was signed in September of last year. Huh. He's going to be making five million bucks a year for the next three years, so they feel like they're set up goaltending wise. He had an eight ninety five save percentage in thirty seven regular season games this year. Okay, I don't understand Oof. that. I maybe he had a good stretch at some point um, to earn that. I think he did for a while, and I'm pretty sure LA was really excited about him for a while. But yeah, those numbers aren't yeah. Too good. Yeah, I mean it was him and Campbell. Kind of competing for like That's who's right, going yeah. to take you know the the they thrown Peterson away from Jonathan and Quick. Campbell, huh? Yeah, that's that. Well, they, did. they could trade Peterson and they could grab out Campbell because he's the free agent this year. 
off season, so. <laughs> there you go, reunite them. So, again, all in all for the Kings, I think they're looking good moving forward. Uh, I have said it for almost every team, but again, a very intriguing offseason coming up with how aggressive uh, they choose to be. A lot of pieces that they could potentially move. We'll talk about another Western Conference first-round matchup that came to an end this one last night. The Calgary Flames beat the Dallas Stars in Game 7, 3-2 in overtime. Johnny Goodrow showing up when he was needed. If you look at that Flames roster and say who needs to score an overtime Game 7 goal more than anyone else, it was Johnny Goodrow and the reputation he has for not being a playoff performer. However, he was not the star of the show. Not even close. The Flames in this game outshot the Stars 67-28. to The largest shot differential in the history of Game 7s. And the second largest differential in playoff history. Can I guess what the first differential was? I don't even know. I couldn't Ooh. find the stat. You know what? I think I know which one it is. It was Calgary Flames versus Detroit Red Wings. And Calgary, I think, one of one team had 54 shots. The other had 11. But the team with 11 shots won one to nothing. And I'm, I'm 100% sure that it was Calgary versus Detroit in the playoffs in, like, a first-round matchup. I, I'd believe you. <laughs> and that, that would seem am... like that's the biggest differential, just, just because differential-wise and math-wise. I am trying to uh, find that that stat was posted by Sportsnet Stats, and oddly, they didn't follow it up with what the largest one was. That's annoying. Which is very, very unlike them to do that. But Damn. In goal for Calgary, Jacob Markstrom finishes with a 9.43 save percentage and a 1.53 goals against average. For the Dallas Stars, Jake Ottinger finishes the series with a 9.54 save percentage and a 1.81 goals against average. For Calgary, uh, Coach Sutter ties the record for most Game 7 wins with 8, which is ridiculous. And Calgary, uh, a funny little stat, also wins the series in the first round for the first time. Uh, against the team not named the Vancouver Canucks for the first time since 1988. For some reason, they make the playoffs. They always play Vancouver in round one. And it was mentioned, like, oh, what's the key? What's the key? And I saw a Flames fan respond, yeah, all we had to do to not uh, have to play them was merge with them. Tanev, Markstrom, Mm. you think of all the Canucks that were brought over. So we'll talk about Edmonton and Calgary in a moment. The Battle of Alberta's inbound. But I want to talk about what's next for the Dallas Stars. At the very least, uh, you drafted Jake Ottinger in the first round a few seasons ago to be the guy. Confirmed, he's the guy. But who else but, are the guys? So, in goal, right? Like, Wedgwood's a UFA at the end of the year. Holpe's a UFA at the end of the year. Bishop is gone. Uh, and Hadobin has one year left at, uh, I think, $2.2 million if he's buried in the minors. Otherwise, it's three point three. So likely it's Ottinger and probably Hadobin, unless he's bought out, but probably Hadobin as the backup next year being given a shot. Ottinger's the guy. He's an RFA, as we talked about on the last show, right? Like he's going to get a, a bridge deal probably worth three or four million a year, I would think. And then if he keeps proving it, you, you might be looking at fucking Bobrovsky money, for God's sakes. 
But everything else for Dallas is a mess. It's a mess. Like, Rick Bonus has to be fired as the head coach of this team. You could talk about, like, oh, he didn't, he didn't get that much out of his team. Maybe. But at the same time, just that super defense-first style. And then, again, to his, to his credit, like, he got the most out of that roster. Because, again, that roster was absolutely horrific. Yeah, but at the same time, Sagan and Ben were awful. I don't know if that's just on them or if that has in part to do with the system. I mean, what kind of system would Sagan look good in? Wasn't he? He was tra- he was literally traded from Boston because he wasn't one of their guys, quote unquote. And I looked mm. at that Boston team played kind of similar style to what Dallas does now. Defensive, but they're more physical for Checky too because they you know had it. But yeah, it, I don't know. I, yeah. I I definitely think a new coach is needed because you're not getting rid of those contracts, especially after a year like this year with Ben and Sagan putting up the numbers they put up. So you got to find a different coach to allow them to get back to where they are. Because if you have two good lines, you know, then you're cooking with gas. But it, I don't know how good their system. Like, they they have such a weird team. They have all these guys who are coming into their own, but then all the all these other guys who are just completely yeah. declining. Pavelski led the way with six points in seven games. Big issue for them. Rupe Hints was injured and and did not play in game seven. Yeah. Uh, Sagan actually had four points in seven games, but Jamie Ben only had two. When you, when Jamie Ben has as many points as Yanni Hockenpah, I view that as an issue. Mm-hmm. Especially when Ben and Sagan both still count for at least nine and a half million dollars. Ben for three more seasons after this, Sagan for even more. Yeah. Like, pay much massive. Sales tax either. Massive, massive issues for them. Radulov's 6.25 comes off the books at the end of the year. I cannot imagine he will be brought back. He only played in three games and had zero points. Like, he's, at least in that Stars system, he's cooked. Yeah. Uh, You know, they have some other deals coming up. John Klingberg, probably the most notable one. So they're not totally screwed. Like, they have draft picks. They have cap space. They do still have... Some younger guys, I mean, obviously this season was the big-time emergence of Jason Robertson, but I think they're in that weird spot right now, almost like we kind of thought Calgary would be once again if they were to lose, where it's like, okay, what direction are you going to go here? And unlike with Calgary, your biggest problem contracts and problem players, yeah, they can't just walk away to free agency and have the problem solve itself. You're locked into those deals. So... I to answer the question of what's next for Dallas, hell if I know, man. Hell if I know. Get a new head coach. You might even need a uh, a new GM there. I don't know how Stars fans feel about Jim Nill at this point, but he has been the GM there for nine years. Jim Nill has been the GM for long enough that the Dallas Stars were still using their old logo when he was Jeez. brought in as GM. Like the Madonna era logo, they were still using that logo when he was brought in. You need you need a new vision there, desperately. So if I'm a Stars fan, that's what I'm rooting for. Uh, similar to a, a Bruins situation, new GM, new head coach. You need new voices and a new vision uh, for that team. You know, I get it. Cup final a couple years ago, the first one that Tampa won, but that that team just. I mean, again, you're when you are relying on. Uh, I mean, Marion Studnik played four games without a point. Dennis Gurionov had five games without a point. Luke Lundenning obviously only played the six games. It was that big hit in game six. 
Uh, you know, I, again, I just I can't help but look at it. Michael Roffel outscored Jamie Ben. I think that sums up how the playoffs went for the Stars. Yep. So that brings us to our first second round matchup that we wanted to talk about, and it is the Battle of Alberta. For the first time in the playoffs since 1991, Edmonton and Calgary. And this, thank God. Like, yeah. no disrespect to, the, to Kings and Stars fans, man. But holy hell, if, if we got... <laughs> Oh, if we got L.A. and Dallas, that would have been <laughs> such a bummer. Say, imagine that series. Good lord, yeah. Uh, I don't want to. It's gonna be just two teams <laughs> throwing it back and forth from each other's blue lines. God, if I <laughs> if I run out of melatonin, then I'll imagine that series. Okay. <laughs> Holy God. So how, Endo? I want your opinion of this because again, uh, you know, Canadian hockey Canadian, fan, and good. here we go. This is it. Unless I'm forgetting someone, these are the two Canadian teams that are left. Yeah. How do you feel about this series? I mean, you know, for the Flames, is it just a matter of, okay, they ran into a hot goalie and now it's like, well, it's Mike Smith, although Mike Smith had a 939 against the Kings in those seven games. And uh, how do you feel about this series and just, I guess, general thoughts and who you think might win it? I think it's going to be really, really high scoring. Uh, both of these offenses are dominant completely, especially because McDavid's having like basically two points per game. And you have Goudreau and you have the Kachuk. Uh, I keep thinking it's Brady, but it's Matthew Kachuk. I was super confused, actually, because um, I saw Brady Kachuk was in the crowd. I was like, wait a second, you shouldn't be on the... Wait, there's another one. My brain is super confused. Uh, it was good to see that. But I think it's going to go in favor of Edmonton. I think it's their time. I think they're just going to pull through. They seem to be playing a little bit better than they have before. Uh, I'm glad that they got through the second round because, Jesus Christ, it would have been really, really boring to see uh, L.A. go up against Calgary. It would have been just not fun to watch. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm thinking it's going to be a big series out of... um, out of, out of Matthew Kachuk as well too. He's been he's been playing well. I'm glad that Goudreau got that goal uh, at the end there to win it. And yeah, I'm thinking I, I'm thinking just Edmonton's going to probably take it though. Goaltending aside, goaltending aside, I think Edmonton just is just going to go through. Hmm. Send your thoughts because I mean you know it's funny you look at these rosters and yeah on paper Calgary probably has the goaltender that you'd prefer to have uh defensively both teams maybe have some issues offensively maybe it's it's kind of even like McDavid really does appear to be the biggest x factor and is that enough for you to kind of lean towards Edmonton in the series you know if if Calgary had won their series in a reasonable amount of time like they should have I would have been all in on Calgary but now it's more of a question mark for me uh, in this scenario. But that being said, Ottinger was also a goddamn beast. We saw Calgary mm-hmm. able to defend as well as put forth a ton of shots. <sighs> can they contain McDavid is really what it comes down to. I think they can. Yeah, because Edmonton can't defend like Calgary. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but I cannot imagine Mike Smith holding up 
like Ottinger did yeah. under that much sustained pressure. I don't think so either. I, as good as his numbers were, they were playing an L.A. team, which was pretty awful on paper, especially considering some of the injuries they had. And Edmonton was inconsistent in being able to score against them. Markstrom with their with that run with that Sutter, I, I still have to give it to Calgary, but I'm less confident now just from the way Calgary played against Dallas. I don't know, like yeah, maybe they got goalied a little bit, but also, you, you at the end of the day, you got to fucking score. And yeah, you're now playing a team with a lot more offense who's going to be able to throw a lot more back in your face. So I still think Calgary um, is going to win probably in but probably in about six, maybe seven. I I don't know how to feel about this one. I really, really don't. This is a super, super tough series to predict in the uh, in the podcast bracket challenge, which uh, through round one I am currently tied for first place. Uh, in that bracket challenge, I chose Calgary to go to the Western Conference Final in this exact matchup. You know, I look at Daryl Sutter. You know, say what you want about on paper. Calgary, in my opinion, has the better coach. They have the better goaltender. Everything else close to even. So it's really the coaching and the goaltending. Although the goaltending might be closer than we want. It's the coaching versus Connor McDavid. Yeah. Who's going to win out? I <sighs> I think in a battle for Alberta, what you got to consider is how much shit is going to be going on in the ice. Rough stuff. Mm. And then if you call too many penalties on that, they're going to be putting the whistles away on all the ticky-tack stuff on McDavid because they don't mm. want to have the, have that, you know. I, I think that might be the case. And in that case, you can shut down McDavid. Sutter's, Sutter's a fucking veteran-ass coach. He's going to realize that. He's going to recognize those situations and say, okay, back to the late 90s, early 2000s, boys. Clutch and grab. <laughs> yeah, You know what I'm trying to look up right now? Is the head-to-head? Is no how many penalties were called against LA in round one against Edmonton. And I want to see if I can find that for the sole reason of like, okay, let's yeah, what was the situation for McDavid in round one? And looking here, the Kings took 32 penalties. In round one, Oilers took 35. So it was called very even. It was called very, very even in round one. Uh, literally an, an wow. identical amount of penalty minutes. That's average of four and a half per game. But we don't know yeah. if that, those are power plays either. It could be coincidentals and stuff like that. Uh, or- looking, it says no matching penalties, no oh. majors. 27 minors on the Kings, 31 on Edmonton. Each team with a bench minor as well. Oh, 27 so, minors on the Kings. Oh. Right. So the problem is, I think, from series to series, obviously, you never Almost know what you're going to get game. in terms of officiating. Th- but you are right. Like, if you look at some of the more combustible elements, Milan Lucic, Brett Ritchie out there for the Flames, Zach Cassian. Uh, Vander Kane. I mean, God, who else would you put? I mean, half Vander Kane is probably the the number one combustible element Honestly, in this series. Yeah, I was going to say, if you make him lose his cool, whoo, McDavid's going to be spending more time worried about trying to keep him from fucking doing stupid shit, which is not where you want the greatest player in the NHL. That's right. I said it, Toronto fans. I said the biggest X factor in this series was Connor McDavid. It's not. It's the officiating. 
I, yeah, that's it is. that's why I brought that up. It is the largest X factor. Yeah. How is this called? How often is McDavid even out there in an even strength or power play situation? I don't know if I have a prediction for this. I think I'll just stick to my bracket prediction. We'll go with we'll go with Calgary. I think I said in seven, maybe even six. I, you know, we got to do it based off of history, right? Like how many times did we talk about last off season the the, the number that was out there for how uh, few times, how infrequent it is for infractions against Connor McDavid to get called in the playoffs? Yeah. So. I I don't know. I'm excited for this series, though. Certainly, as a neutral, this is uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. This is the series I'm fucking watching. Like, <laughs> I don't give a oh, yeah, shit about Carolina and New York and shit. Like, fuck <laughs> that. You kidding me? The other Western Conference semifinal, of course, that we know of and we've known about it for a couple of days now. It is Colorado and St. Louis again. The Avs fresh off of sweeping Nashville, what feels like two months ago, and St. Louis beat Minnesota. In six, I look at this as a potentially close series as well, Absolutely. despite the fact that the Avs swept the Blues in round one last season. I oh, mean, wow, they did. it's oh, yeah. they did. Yeah, I was very I surprised. I had to that. double check that. Yeah, you know, that shouldn't have. You look at the Colorado. You look at the Colorado fucking locomotive here. The high end offensive firepower. What Kale McCarr can do on the blue line. Goaltending as well, which I'd imagine Darcy Kemper is going to be back to one hundred percent at this point. How is he not? Like, how hurt is... I mean, I don't know. I haven't looked it up. How hurt was he? If he's still not 100% healthy and ready to go, then, you know, that could be the difference maker there. I'm trying to look up what the most recent word is on uh, on Darcy Kemper and whether or not he is uh, fully healthy moving forward. But uh, regardless, looking at what the uh, situation is for the St. Louis Blues, it's a very good team. Yeah. It's a very good team. You know, Jordan Bennington came back in the middle of that series and really started to get it done. Again, we talked about the lines. They can roll three tremendous lines. Right now on Cap Friendly, again, a reminder, it is listed as Shen, O'Reilly, Perron. Uh, O'Reilly and Perron were fucking incredible in round one. Saad, Robert Thomas, and Jordan Cairo. Bushnevich, Barbashev, and Tarasenko is listed as the third line. Hmm. How many teams can even match that? There's. I don't think Colorado can't match that. Colorado's a uh, good team. Like I don't think I've yeah. really given them the respect they've deserved throughout the course of this year. Like that's a sneaky good lineup. Colorado's top nine: Nachushkin, McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog, Kadri, Lekinen, Burakovsky, Comfer, Obey, Kubel. Ooh. That's not a bad top nine. I take the Blues top nine, though. Would, in yeah. terms of consistency throughout, you might side, obviously, towards like the Nathan McKinnons and Miko Rantons of the world in terms of, okay, if you could have one or two players, who are the two you would take? So Colorado has the high-end skill, perhaps, but the Blues have that most consistency throughout the lineup, which is, I don't know, is that what you would want, or do you go to the Connor McDavid school of let the Stars carry the team? Yeah, here's the thing that I love about McKinnon and McCarr. Um, in why I think they would succeed in this sort of series, they don't necessarily rely on drawing penalties. They they not that McDavid does, but like when he does, like he's a beast on the power play. Obviously, Colorado's a good power play, but McKinnon McCarr bulldoze their way through contact so often. I mean, look at what McCarr does. He almost seems to seek out contact, 
breaks out of it with some miracle bullshit and threads an insane pass across to someone in a one-time situation where you should never try to pass that. Uh, right. Yeah, it's... I I I want I still want to go with Colorado, but I think I think St. Louis as Colorado may be fresh, but I I wonder if they're like out of their groove in game one and they allow St. Louis to kind of strangle them. That's always a factor, right? Yeah. Like how uh, how long how long of a layoff is too long mm-hmm. of a layoff between getting healthy versus falling out of your rhythm. Yeah. Do you boys know the day that the Colorado series ended. May 9th. Correct. <laughs> One week ago today is the last time the Avalanche played a hockey game. That's a long break. That's a long, it's a long fucking time. St. Louis, what, three days? <sighs> Two days? Uh, I think three. Yeah. Maybe four. That's on. So then that's yeah. Then the rest I, I would take. I would take the what the St. Louis had because you're more in the groove. I feel like. Yeah. Who knows? Endo Mills, Colorado and St. Louis. How do you view this series going? Who's winning this? It's very even, but I think I think Colorado's going to take it in six. Just flat out. I got nothing to say on everything else. Just <laughs> flat out. I feel like it's it's their time to also make it through. I said about Edmonton, but just it's their time to go through and get it done. They got so close a few years ago, and I think now they're just going to go through and take it. As close as this series could be, the pressure's on Colorado here. It absolutely mm-hmm. is. Absolutely. And, I, and I worry about that. Yeah. I worry about that a lot. You know, I mean, St. Louis again, three years ago now, but still... A lot of the members of this team have won a Stanley Cup with this club. And that was another they know situation. they're the underdogs. Another situ- yeah, well, that's another situation they didn't have the pressure on them either in that situation. Yeah, yeah you're right. 2019, again, I mean, that's what pisses me off about 2019. If it was any other team other than the Bruins, yeah. god damn it. But just such an incredible run, right? Like dead last, and then they win the Cup. Insanity. And now, like I said, I, just, I wonder about Colorado because we – you know, obviously, we're going to talk about Toronto here in a few minutes. Like Tampa, as two-time Cup champions, had no pressure on them in that series because if you lose, huh? Well, you won two in a row. It was all down to Toronto to win it. Just like it's all down to Colorado here. It's like you have been picked as a perennial Stanley Cup favorite for the past two to three seasons now. Perhaps not given except, a better chance, except by your own social media team. Mm, fair, uh, who are like, yeah. we're underdogs and shit. <laughs> They fucking swept them. They're like, oh, who could imagine? Who could have imagined? Oh, <laughs> anyway, sorry. Everyone. Fine. God. So, my heart says Colorado. You know, again, St. Louis has won recently. My heart says Colorado. But my heart also really does like this Blues team. And my mind is looking at this and saying, I... I had a real tough time picking against the Blues against Minnesota, and I'm still having a real tough time here. Yeah, I had a really hard time. That's why I said Blues in like six or seven against Minnesota, and whew, they could they could. This is a situation where they could absolutely stump Colorado. It's the same thing. Like they may they may even be stronger than that Flames roster in some ways. 
hard to say <sighs> with certainty. But when you when you talk about that top nine, like, hmm. I don't know. It's very similar. Yeah. To the Calgary Edmonton thing, it is Colorado's star power, similar to Edmonton. But I think Colorado against what I think is a better, way more overall power. situation, like St. Louis and Calgary have. Yeah. And I'm sorry. I'm going with St. Louis, just like I'm going with Calgary, because you talk about star power and relying on it a little bit too much. I I worry about teams where I have questions about your depth. Prove me wrong, but if McKinnon and Rantanen and Landeskog and Kadri, if they can't get anything going, are you going to see Obey Kubel, Darren Helm, Nico Sturm, and Logan O'Connor step up and deliver? I can't bank on that. I I gotta I think St. Louis is gonna pull this off again. I just no denying. You know, if you ask me, hey, what's the one defenseman you take in this matchup? You take Kale McCarr. Who's the four? Who's the top two forwards you take in this matchup? Yeah, I'm probably taking McKinnon and Rantanen. But I'm I'm gonna go with St. Louis. I'm gonna go against what I said in the bracket challenge. I'm gonna go with the Blues. I was very impressed with how they handled Minnesota. Yeah. And maybe a similar situation there with Minnesota. I think Colorado has a bit more star power than Minnesota, but they were able to handle Minnesota's uh, star power for the most part. You know, Kaprizov still had a great series. I'm going to go with the Blues on this one. Fair. I So bring on the Colorado-Edmonton Western Conference Final so I can be completely wrong. And I'll still be happy because McKinnon versus McDavid. Oh, what a series that would potentially be. We'll shift over to the Eastern Conference. And we will start with Carolina oh. and Boston. I'm, I'm looking to set the... I set up the sheet in terms of intrigue instead of how it's listed on like NHL's bracket. <laughs> the Carolina Hurricanes beat the Boston Bruins 3-2 in Game 7. It might as well have been 3-1. David Posternock scored with 20 seconds left. I talked uh, about this matchup kind of in full on uh, my my main channel. Of course, the recaps I had been doing. Uh, so, you know, make sure to check that out. So, uh, you know, I don't really want to sit here and reiterate a ton of the same points. But Max Domi scored two goals for the Hurricanes in this game. Max Domi is not the best player in the world, but he is someone that I was shouting from the rooftops that I wanted the Boston Bruins to trade for. At the trade deadline, you heard me say it numerous times. The Bruins' glaring issue was up front and a lack of depth, and they didn't address it. They didn't get Max Domi. They didn't get Nick Paul. They didn't get Andrew Kopp. And it failed them. And Carolina won this in seven games. And obviously now we'll talk about the Hurricanes in a little bit and who they're playing in round two. I said it as much in that video, uh, you know... I can't take anything away from Canes fans. That's a hell of a team. That's a hell of a fan base and a hell of an atmosphere. And anybody hating on them comes off as just so fake. It's just the outrage over. It comes off as envious that a Southern market can have a building that loud and a fan base that's that passionate. 
it comes off as you being envious, especially if you see, oh, where are you from? Hmm, you're from Canada. Mm, yeah, who do who do you root for? Why would why would you be why would you be envious? Or oh, you're you root for one of the original six teams. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So again, Canes fans, fucking enjoy the run. I uh, spoiler alert. I don't think that runs ending in round two. But yeah, I I can't take anything away from that team, from the coach. I mean, it's fucking Rod Brindamore. What the hell am I gonna say negatively about Rod Brindamore? Before the Bruins, you know, again, they go from potentially getting swept, you know, down 0-2. They do push it all the way to Game 7. The home team won every single game. <sighs> but numerous times they went back and forth e between being... sports. <laughs> numerous times I went back and forth between being like, okay, it's not that bad if they lose versus, man, this is frustrating. And in the immediate aftermath, and even now, I'm still siding with the, this is incredibly frustrating uh, to have lost this way. Um, you know, again, Carolina had everything. They had the depth scoring. They had great defense. They had great goaltending. The Bruins had pretty solid goaltending with Swayman. Allmark, obviously, it didn't quite go their way. But there was that severe lack of depth scoring that absolutely crushed them. Simply put, your biggest need, you didn't address it. My biggest takeaway for what's next for the Bruins is, again, I would still like to see a new GM. I, I don't think Cassidy's a bad coach. I wouldn't mind seeing a new coach in there either. But a lot of this hinges upon what happens next with Patrice Bergeron. He is a UFA. He is 36 years old. And the retirement rumors are out there. Now, he has... Uh, today, in the Bruins' exit interviews, essentially shot down an idea of playing for any other team. Fuck you, Tony um, Amonti. <laughs> <laughs> He's made it pretty clear. I mean, you know, there are some players where you're just like, I don't know if I really trust that. Uh, for Patrice Bergeron, it really does seem to be either staying as the captain of the Boston Bruins or he's retiring. And, yeah, he's obviously contemplating it. Otherwise, you would have shot it down by now. I can't fault him if he elects to retire. For everything that I've talked about, he is a future Hockey Hall of Famer. He has accomplished basically everything. He is the man. If he goes, I definitely want a new head coach and new leadership in there. Um, and I say new head coach because, let's be honest, if there's a new general manager, the head coach is time. Like, they're, they're on borrowed time. You know, that's how it works. Like, the rare exception is Bruce Boudreaux, who almost apparently wasn't brought back because, again, the GM that hired him is gone. So, well, I kind of want to name my guy, but uh, smart move by Alvan in Vancouver because, uh, yeah, you let go of Bruce Boudreaux after a season like that. You're not exactly uh, winning the good graces of your fan base to start off. Or but the players, probably, man. Like, that too. <laughs> they obviously bought in. <laughs> hmm. They bought into that barbecue that Bruce was dishing. They bought into that darn. <laughs> it's one of my favorite jokes of all time, man. It's just... <laughs> Him, yeah, him clearing, say, clearly saying fuck with all the passion in the world and just says darn on the screen. <laughs> so I don't know what happens next for the Boston Bruins. I really don't. You know, I think, again, it all hinges upon what happens with Patrice Bergeron. But it all comes back to not making the most of Bergeron, Chara, 
Krejci, so on and so forth. Three finals appearance, one win. That's better than what some teams get, that's for sure. But it is that feeling of it could have been more. If Bergeron comes back, no more of this half-in, half-out nonsense. This is what half-in and half-out gets you. If you have a clear issue, you go all in like Tampa, and you fucking address it. If you try to win now, but also protect the future, the odds are not exactly in your favor for success. So, yeah. uh, Sin, your thoughts on the Bruins from the outside looking in? Such a weird situation. Yeah, I think you're right, and it hinges on what happens to Bergeron, and that's kind of the path you have to take after that. If Bergeron goes, they got to start looking to move pieces, um, and I. Marshan's got to be one of them. As much as that sucks, I'm sure for Bruins fans, the man is on the sweetest of sweetheart deals for what he brings to the table. You don't have to incentivize. People should incentivize getting that contract and that player that Marshand is. Mm. He could get a lot of uh, assets. But if yeah, if you want to go the the win route, I, I I don't think that's the right move. Um. And I, the only reason I'd hope Bergeron retires is so that the Bruins go down that route because you are stuck in a meat grinder of a division, which is not mm. really getting easier, and you're getting thinner and thinner and thinner and older. If Bergeron stays, he's still one year older. Um, so, yeah. Brad Marchand, <laughs> any, any guess of the contract? This is a, You said sweetheart deal. It's like Holy 6. shit. 6.2 that he's making. And it's for two, three more years. Six, one, two, five for three more years Ooh, after this. Boy. Yeah, I mean, he's thirty-four years old, dude. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, if you're, if you're, if I'm Boston GM, and it, especially if Patrice Bergeron says I'm out, you could even consider trading Pasta, but because it's like that's by where... the time you turn things around, is he still going to be in his prime? Yeah, I mean, Pasternak's 25. He's coming up on the last year of his deal, and he'll be a UFA. That's scary as fuck. Yeah. That's scary as fuck, man. Uh, you know, I think David Pasternak does like it here, but at the end of the day, you can like it somewhere and realize it's not the best situation for you in your career and your family. So, yeah, a lot of, uh, lot of questions for the Bruins moving forward. And, you know, you kind of mentioned it. I think, you know, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, to endo here, obviously we're going to talk about again about the Leafs coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, and for all the talks, if they need to blow it up, yeah, the, the Bruins and Leafs are in two drastically different situations. <laughs> you know, like if you talk about it for the Bruins' perspective, you have Montreal and Buffalo and Ottawa and Detroit all on the come up. And if you hold on for too long when you shouldn't, it's going to take a long time to resurface after getting, you know, having that wave crash over your head. But if you time it right, you can be on the come up by the time that some of those teams start hitting some interesting points. It's just there's so many different directions to go. Um, and I'm sure I could talk about it all day long. But like I said, I covered it more in that particular video. Everything hinges upon what happens with Patrice Bergeron and where this team goes from here. So, you know, what's next for them? That's be, I would say beyond every other team, we don't, we don't know. I, I would say they might be in the NHL right now. Uh, it's, it's them and the team that we're going to talk about next who are perhaps in the most interesting spots where it's like, okay, just what the fuck's going to happen here? That other team is the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are fresh off of losing to the New York Rangers. They had a 3-1 to series lead and could not seal the deal. 
Uh, they lose Game 7, 4-3 in overtime. Artemi Panarin, the hero on that. Of course, in Game 7, Tristan Jari came back. Probably shouldn't have. Uh, you know, he. I mean, granted, he gave him a chance to win in overtime. You had Sidney Crosby play after the is he concussed, is he not concussed discussion. Um... You know, a lot of Penguins fans are pointing out the helmet incidents. And again, if you're going to blame any sort of officiating, you're just going to look foolish at this point because literally every team has cause to say officiating fuck them, even if they won the series, for God's sakes. Um, the Rangers became the first team in NHL history to come back as they did. Essentially, all three games, they had to come back in those games. And they did to win the series. That is Pittsburgh blowing it. They fucking Period. choked. Like, oh my God, choke job. It was 3-1. Yeah. And then how many multi-goal leads did you blow in the tuna games after that? Like two, two-goal leads. And then in game seven, you had the lead multiple times. You couldn't hold yeah. on. Horrible. Yeah. So You let look, a team I with get... no depth do that. I can't believe it. I get the idea of injuries. I get the idea... That Louis Domingue is an AHL caliber goalie with no glove hand. Uh, Louis Domingue had a higher save percentage uh, than Andre Vasilevsky did in round one. You know, there's a lot that goes into that. But at the same side, you know, same time, uh, you could have won that series. You should have won that series. You know, uh, there's really no other. Yeah. There's really no other way to put it. When you get into that, should have been a win. When you get into blaming calls and and wanting rule changes and shit, um, I laugh at you because that's what that's what loser mentality is. Uh, I laughed at Vegas when they had that loser mentality, blame and their fans for blaming them giving f- four goals in four minutes on one fucking call. Like you're gonna, if you look at the play, the helmet was ripped off. The Pens after that had a chance. To, they got possession and they had a chance to get the puck out. They didn't. It doesn't had nothing to do with the helmet bullshit. Like Crosby, maybe Truba could have got some supplementary discipline, but at the same time, that's the reason you have depth so that your your playoff chances don't hinge on one player. Like Crosby, you have Malkin for that reason. And we talked about the Penguins' depth heading into that series too. We liked it as their biggest strength over the <laughs> Rangers. And look, don't get me wrong. Like I, I've done my fair share of complaining about like why the fuck is this a rule? You know, we think back uh, like four or five years ago, Tampa and Boston in round one. Same rule for everyone. And Tuka Rask, and Tuka Rask loses his skate blade as a goalie, and Tampa scores. It's like how the fuck doesn't play stop when a goalie loses their blade? But it was a moment like that that just leads you and led me to just this point of indifference where it's like this is going to happen. The rules are fucking stupid. The referee is incompetent. The league's fucking incompetent in general when it comes to rules, enforcing them, the DOPS. It's all this one giant ball of shit. And you can accept it for what it is, or you can continue to get frustrated by it. I eventually hit the threshold of just accepting this ball of shit being in the corner of the room while I watch the NHL. <laughs> I might, you know, and sometimes... I'm nose blind to it. Other times, it's like, boy, that fucking sucks. David Posternock getting headshotted in Game 7. But it is what it is. How many fan bases watching the playoffs can sit there and say, I feel like my favorite team had a player get headshotted and, uh, headshot and it wasn't called. Dallas certainly feels that way with Luke Lendetting. Like, I mean, again, it's just, that's what it is. That's what it is. 
And eventually, you just gotta hope to become nose blind to it because that fucking stench isn't going away. This is what the NHL does, and you just have to hope that you end up on the right side of it. So I agree with that takes in that, yeah, I mean, blaming the helmet, like, no. And then, you know what? Even if so, you had other chances to win. Same thing with the Bruins. You had other chances to win. You gave up the first goal six out of seven games. You lost all four games on the road. It's just one of those things. Like, you know, you can you can hyper-focus on the calls or you can focus what they can actually control Yeah. and whether or not they did a good enough job in that moment. They didn't. They blew way too many leads. You go up, three, you go up into Sears 3-1, to one, you better win it. You got three chances to win it. <laughs> so for the Rangers, obviously we'll talk about them. I did want to point out this stat, though. Igor Shesterkin did not allow a goal in any of the five third periods he played in versus Pittsburgh. That's impressive. Meaning, yeah, the Penguins got leads. <laughs> and then in the third period, Shesterkin shut it down, and the Penguins couldn't hold on. That's how I view that. Yeah. I mentioned the Penguins, or alluded towards the Penguins, perhaps being uh, the most interesting team to watch now, aside or maybe alongside the Boston Bruins. Uh, the Penguins do have their first round pick in each of the next three years. However, Evgeny Malkin is a UFA. Uh, he became the all-time leading scorer amongst Russians in the NHL playoffs in this postseason. Brian Rust, his deal is up. Talk about a sweetheart deal. He was only making three and a half. Uh, that deal is up. Ricard Raquel is going to be a UFA. Chris Letang is a UFA. They have some big, big decisions to make on what direction they're taking this team with a now 34-year-old Sidney Crosby still leading the helm. How many years left is on Crosby's deal? Four. Crosby has two year, three years left, excuse me. He is signed through 2025. Don't have to tell you the cap hit. You already know what it is. Yeah. He's fucking superstitious <laughs> ass. Um, hmm. Man. It's, uh, for me, like, I think they got to... They've lost in the last four playoffs in the first round. I believe you are correct. Them and the Capitals have both both lost in the first round for the last four years. Can't believe, can you believe it's been four years since the Caps won the Cup, by the way? Uh, yes and no at the same time. Wild. <laughs> um, yeah, the Penguins haven't made it to round two since 2018, where they lost to the Caps en route to Washington winning the Stanley Cup. I think it's time you move. Oh, it, it sucks that both Latang and Malkin are free agents because you can't get anything mm. back for them. But uh, I wonder what Crosby would fetch. <laughs> I, I don't think they'll ever do it. No. But, uh, and in which no, case. No, he's, he's the type of guy who will, who will go down with the ship. Yeah, um, he 1,000% he, he will go into the Mario Lemieux role of being the only uh, guy on that team. Like, he'll play with Rico Fada Jr. I'm sure he doesn't care. Like, he's used to playing with fucking Mark Donk and Buzz Flibbit anyway, right? As the old <laughs> saying goes, so. Yeah, I know, I know. And it's just, that's probably what they should. But, I, you know, when I did my NHL 22 franchise, I literally kept Crosby, like, as long, I think the entire fucking time. To, he's playing at, like, 70-something overall, I think. But still putting up points and shit on the third line. It was hilarious. Uh, but, yeah, it's... It's a tough situation they find themselves in. They do have to blow it up, but you're going to blow it up and you're still going to have Crosby like dragging that team to decent standings. And is that what's best for the team? It's not. So what do you do? I, oh man, I I don't it's it's an insane situation. 
I think they're gonna I think they're gonna try to keep it going because you have to. Well, you have, yeah. you have Crosby still, and Crosby's still a great player, but I, I worry about his injury history so much, man. And that hit from Truba, the man was 100% concussed, and I think it's disgusting that he was allowed to play. I can't say 100%, yeah. but with his history and the way that looked and the way everything that followed after and the way the NHL seems to be completely ignoring this shit now, I mean, we saw the guy in the Dallas game. He literally got knocked out before he – and that's why he slumped on his knees and went to the ice. He was allowed to finish that game. Concussion spotters are a fucking joke. Too much is on the line. I don't get – yeah. And that's, that's, that's how they view that's it. That's a rough fucking culture. Look at Ovi. Clearly needs that's, shoulder surgery. Missed, we can bring that up yeah, right now because I, I had it in I our know. run sheet for later I'm on. Sorry, so we we're going to talk I about it. I went out of order, but it's, it ties in. No, it's okay. It, it perfectly flows into the conversation. So Alex Ovechkin uh, did confirm that he had a left shoulder injury late in the season. It was that moment where he went shoulder first into the boards. It has to be. Um, he won't need surgery, but he said this. And this shows you how fucked up it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, someone like Sin, I mean, hey, we're not sitting here, like, uh, you know, uh, trying to dissect Sidney Crosby's physical health for entertainment. It is out of a place of concern. We're not saying that we know better. But at the same time, it's not unreasonable to think that he was allowed to just push. Because here's what Alex Ovechkin said. Quote, I hit the boards and hit my shoulder. But in the playoffs, I don't think it matters. If it hurts, you have some injections to do, and you have some, quote, magic pills. Yeah, Kessler had a lot of magic pills. Jimmy, Jimmy fucking Hayes died less than a year ago from a drug addiction stemming from his hockey playing career. It has just passed 11 years since Derek Bogard and the string of deaths in 2011 in relation to hockey culture taking its toll on guys like Derek Bogard and Rick Rippon and Wade Belak. And you have a star player in this league talking about, oh, you can get the injections and magic pills and push through. I'm not naive enough, and I said this on Twitter, I'm not naive enough to think that shit doesn't happen. But for a star player to literally just say, like, oh, yeah, we'll fucking... Oh, we'll met ourselves up to uh, the the highest limit we can to push through for the playoffs for the cup. You you wonder why people are just like, yeah, Sidney Crosby might have been fucking concussed, and uh, they're gonna let him play because that's uh, too important. You got to win games. Yeah, and this is the part of the culture that sucks because they're like, where's the line? Like, you, there has to be like, okay, they want to do it. It's their body. It's their fucking life. They want to do it. How do you stop them? At the same time, you got to protect people from themselves. Exactly. They don't necessarily know any better. I had this conversation. I'm not going to call him out on Twitter because we it wasn't we didn't agree on this, but it was a similar situation to this. And how he was like, "Oh, dude, I played hockey. You just pushed through it. That's what you do. You want to do it." And I'm like, "Yes, but you were brought up like that. You were taught that. We still teach that. Like, it's not safe." To me, I am okay. With that attitude for the player. I like the hunger because that's how you get to the top level of I am going to give everything. It is up to the other people in that set of circumstances to tell you when enough is enough. End of. Yeah. It is up to the league in this instance because a team will not give a shit. If Sid wants to push, who are we as the Penguins to tell him no? 
we're going to let him push. It is up to the league to do their job. If Alex Ovechkin's literally telling you that he's sitting here popping pills, maybe not popping pills fucking recreationally, but having to rely, and you could say, well, so many people are. Maybe that's a problem. <laughs> that, you know, if you're having a star player like this, just be like, yeah, my shoulder's fucked, but I'm going to do whatever I can do to, to push through it. This, again, goes along with uh, so many other things and how the NHL conducts themselves on and off the ice. It's, it's fucked. Yeah. It's so fucked. It's not even just in the NHL. Um, I've uh, had instances on my hockey teams where guys are completely rocked, like flat out, just like they, they shouldn't be playing. And then because it's like a playoff push, they, they come back next week and they're up, up, up and at them. And you can tell their gameplay is a little bit off, but they're, they're trying to get out there because it's, you know, it's hardwired into sports that the playoffs is when it really matters and that you should be putting it all on the line. But at the same time, how is this going to affect your longevity? Especially if you're a kid. If you're a kid and this happens to you, 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 that could affect everything from how you do in school versus like your interactions with everybody else for the rest of your future. Like let alone being older and having this be your actual job. Like when you're a kid, it's your hobby. It's the thing you like to enjoy. It's the thing you're trying to do to get to the next spot in your life, which be it in hockey or be it for whatever. So it, it's really scary that this this notion is still on top and being pushed down that, you know, give it give it your all, even if it even requires like your brain being concussed or damaged. Like there are times where I'll play a game in beer league. I'll hit, I'll hurt my knee. Like I've I've had my knee injury for the past three four months now. It happened during a game, and they told me like you got to keep it going, you got to keep playing because we don't have another we don't have another goalie. So if you're gone, you gotta we gotta get someone else in that, or we gotta play with six forwards. That's not good, especially even fucking beer league of all things too. Like I'm still reeling from it now. But like it, it, it comes down to that whole mentality of just pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, not willing to take no for an answer. Yeah, that's where I'm gonna. <clears throat> I I think I slightly will differentiate with Tugi on this is that I don't like the win at all costs mentality. I think it ties back into what we talked about a lot earlier uh, in in this podcast this year with about some of the you know, extra the, the off ice stuff that was going on, whether it was the Kyle Beach mm -hmm. and all this other stuff. I think that sort of win at all costs, who the fuck cares, win, win, win. I think that kind of contributes to this is that fuck your health. Like this is, this is a moment you got to seize it, take these pills. It'll be fine. Look at Ryan Kessler. Like he, he's still living like, and mm. he's, you know, holes in his colon and shit like that from abusing the pain, the, the pain pills that they're talking about. Now, again, we don't know if Ovechkin's abusing it, but it's, it's for me, it just says so much about the mentality and the culture around hockey that it's like, he said that like it's fucking normal and because mm -hmm. it is, but it's been yeah. so sheltered and it's always like, oh, oh, well, the tough guys, you know, oh, they fight. Of course, they're in a bit more pain. Look, it's not just them anymore. Jimmy yeah. Hayes. Now you're you got the, the biggest potentially the, the best goal scorer in the history of the NHL, maybe at the end of his career, talking about it like it's nothing. Magic pills. Yeah, like on yeah. an unrelated note, like not to the concussions, but I remember there was um. There's a goalie who plays in the like the one of the lower Swedish hockey leagues. Um, he was an idiot and decided to, in order to be faster, he decided to put put a, a like a plated weight, like a what is it, like a 
like weight, like uh, one of those like plates where weights where you just like lift up, tied to his chest, tied to his chest, like tape it up. Then he hurt his knee. And this is like mid season. His doctor told him either you wait it out and your season's done, or you take a cortisone shot in your knee so you can play. And he chose the cortisone. Like the fact that there's there's still options given the players to get back in and do stuff, which cortisone has a longer effect, like in your joints and everything. You're putting something that's not really naturally in your body inside your body. It's going to fuck it up eventually. And then like, at what point does that just become like the normal to you? They're like, Oh man, I got fucked up. I'll just get something in my knee or get something in my arms. That way I can kind of move and feel better. And then your longevity in the future, when you're older and having more different ailments or some sort of disease could stem from that. Like we don't know the full lengths of all these procedures being given the players. I will say, you know, with sin, like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm in the in between. Like maybe it's just that I expect players to kind of have that opinion and that mindset, and to, I, I just, I still feel like so much of it is dependent on the players around them. Not only, of course, for like the problem is like it's just it's the nature of the beast. Like if you even if you educate a player on well, here's the risk, here's this, here's that. People are going to be too short-sighted. They're going to be too afraid to lose their spot. Like, I just feel like it's it's too ingrained in the culture of professional sports of next man up if you can't get the job done, which is why you see players relying on this so much. Um, it's, it's a problem that, you know, what is the solution to it? And I think it's certainly, a, you know, a gigantic discussion point that I wasn't uh, expecting us to have today. I'm glad we did. Um... But yeah, just in terms of, just in terms of how that plays out, it's just the idea, like I said, that I can't shake of a star player, just being like, yeah, fuck it, you do what you got to do. That it certainly doesn't help. I'll give you that. I wanted to talk though. <laughs> Can you believe this? Uh, this started. Uh, with us moving towards talking about second round Carolina and New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the Rangers knocking out the Penguins. Um, you know, I said I wouldn't really trust New York until they uh until they get it done, but even then, like I'm sorry. Like I saw how much you struggled against uh, Louis Domingue and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah. If this goes more than 5, then good on the Rangers cuz I see Canes in 5 easily. They're such a well-built team. They're just such a good all-around team and their depth should absolutely smoke the Rangers. <laughs> uh, Shesterkin, again, is the X factor. But Carolina, they're, they're just so good at, like, kind of scoring in whatever way possible. Like, you look at that Boston series when the – just the way the analytics played out, like the goals uh, – expected goals and stuff like that and how close that series was. But it didn't seem like that at times with Carolina just able to find ways to score constantly. See, I don't know. I think New York, yeah, I think Carolina should have it, and I'd be surprised if New York does something. But, yeah, it'll be on the back of Shesterkin if they do. And, uh, Mills, your thoughts on how this series is going to go? Yeah, um, I think it's going to go as far as, like Sin just said, like as far as Shesterkin's going to let them go itself. They're a good team. Uh, Andrew Kopp is going to score a bunch of goals and just rub the salt in your wounds about being uh, a Bruins fan and not picking up at the deadline. Um, and I don't know. It's going to be a tough series for sure. 
That's all I'm saying. I don't know who's going to take it, though. I, th- I, I, want, I want the Rangers to take it just because success, but I don't want Shesterkin being left basically hung up to dry every game and having to bail them out, a la Hendrik Lundqvist. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of does feel like it comes down to whether or not Shesterkin can just steal the series, and he can, but, you know, it's... <laughs> I, I don't know. That, that Pittsburgh series didn't do much to uh, instill confidence in me that the Rangers can make this happen. If they do, hey, more power to them. If the Rangers yeah. make it to the conference final, I will fully believe you at that point. Yeah. But until that happens... If they go down like three this, games to one against Carolina, you're not coming back. Like, There's no yeah. coming back from that. If they do, I'll fucking... <laughs> I'll buy a Rangers jersey, even though I already have one. I'll, I'll buy a Shesterka jersey if the Rangers fucking beat Carolina. There you go. Like. There you go. Yeah, like I think it's just the over reliance of goalies itself and tiring out your goaltender. Like you don't want to have him exhausted. You still got another, let's say, twenty-one possible games ahead right now. Don't don't tire out your goalie. Get it done. Hmm. The final uh, two first-round matchups that we have to talk about here before we can wrap up this show, and obviously we got a little bit sidetracked with yeah. the uh, with the larger conversation there. But again, fair enough, and it sucks because I feel like there was there was something else I wanted to say, kind of in response to Sin, to be like, "Hey, I think we're closer to the same side of things here on that." But that yeah, is what it is. Uh, the Florida Panthers oh, eliminate the Just yeah. Fuck you, Sin. <laughs> we don't fully agree. Get off of my show. <laughs> Oh boy! Uh, the I'm the captain. Florida Panthers. I am the captain now. Fuck you. Uh, the Florida Panthers eliminate the Washington Capitals in six games, winning Game Six by the score of four to three in overtime. Carter Verhage scored his sixth goal of the series because LOL. Uh, he had twelve points in that first round matchup, which was five more than the man who finished in second on the Panthers in terms of points. That being Claude Giroux, who had seven. Uh, Giroux, by the way, has now thirty points in twenty-four games as a Panther. Uh, dating back to both regular season and playoffs. The Panthers get their first ever, uh, or not their first ever, but their first series win. Um, I believe in an endo birth year for you. 98? I thought so. This is the Panthers' first playoff series win uh, in Endo Mills' lifetime. <laughs> Since Congrats. before you were born. Oh, my God. Um, Last time the Panthers as well. God, the Panthers as well, most impressively perhaps, uh, they just won a six-game playoff series without scoring a power play goal. They were 0 for 18. Whoa! <laughs> I know. <laughs> so that's that's a bit of uh, an interesting little tidbit that their power play was that brutal. Uh, but obviously, again, we'll talk about the, the Panthers and what they have coming up for the moment. We want to focus on the Washington Capitals because perhaps similar to the Bruins and Similar to the Penguins, it's like, hmm, what direction do you want to go in? Again, still think they have a good team. They have pretty much all of their draft picks. A lot of their core is still locked up, including talk about sweetheart deals. TJ Oshie under six million dollars at five seven five. He had six goals in that series. Apparently, played with a broken foot. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of goes back to the uh, Ovi Crosby conversation, doesn't it? Yeah. They did that. Mark oh, Stahl God. did that. I'm pretty sure back when New York was in the Cup against LA. I remember them talking about that. How they like did something to like freeze his foot, or I don't know. They some crazy. Dude, Bergeron played in the Cup final with a hole in his lung. For fuck's sake! I mean, 
Oh, sh- oh yeah. You know, huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think even as, as simple as, let me see, if I Google Patrice Bergeron lung. How do you fix that shit? A hole in your... Yep, June 26, 2013. Patrice Bergeron played in game six with a hole in his lung. A what? Oh, let's see. So, uh, this article is from Yahoo and Greg Wyshynski, fun fact, nine years ago. The magnitude and variety of injuries that the Boston Bruins center Patrice Bergeron played through are starting to make Gregory Campbell's broken leg seem like a stubbed toe. Already established, Bergeron suffered through a broken rib, torn cartilage, and muscle tissue, as well as a separated shoulder, which he injured in Game 6. GM Peter Shirelli confirmed on Wednesday that doctors also found that Bergeron had a small puncture in his lung. Uh, from a Shirelli, quote, Bergeron was taken to the hospital following Game 6 where they discovered a hole in his lung. The team is unclear to when or how the lung was punctured, <laughs> though it was likely from a needle as means of freezing the cartilage from his broken rib. That's what, yeah, so that's what the yeah. F. He got Tyrod tailored, basically. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, fucking A, man. Like again, we could go. We could just dip right back into that whole conversation yeah. about the, uh, the the hockey culture of the, in that hate. sense of the term hockey it's culture. But merry go round at this point, yeah. It would be. Um, it's fucked. Is is the summary though? We all agree on that. That was the end point. It's fucked, everybody. Uh, yeah. For the Caps, though, like I said, most of their core is locked in. Um, you know, it was kind of roles reversed. Vanacek was the better goal in the regular season. Samsonov stole the goal uh, in the playoffs there for the Caps. I think you just keep going for it, really. I mean, the underrated story is that, uh, well, hey, we know Ovi had a shoulder injury, and yeah, you can tell he had one goal in six games. So I, I think they just they, they keep going for it. They have that core locked in of Ovechkin, Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Oshie, Mantha now. Just keep going for it. They'll be back again next year. I mean, people have said, oh, this is the year they'll fall off, and it hasn't happened yet. Maybe it uh, finally will as a, a big Windows sound just came through, I think, from my side of things. Yeah, I didn't hear anything. And I have no idea why, so apologies for that, everybody. You ever have your computer make noises at you, and it's like, huh, why did it do that? Because it doesn't tell you why it did it? Fun stuff. Oh, I just fun, turned fun on my stuff. system notifications. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. There you go. So... Final regular season, or regular season, first round series to talk about. We had to save the best for last. The Tampa Bay Lightning win game seven over the Toronto Maple Leafs by the score of two to two, if you ask Leafs fans. Uh, Two to one was the final score. Nick Paul scoring both goals for the Lightning. Of course, this highlighted by the Justin Hall interference call for a basketball-style pick that got the John Tavares goal uh, you can't even say waved off. The whistle blew before the puck went in. For the Lightning, uh, here are just some crazy, crazy stats. We'll talk about the Lightning in a minute in their first round or second round matchup now with Florida, and then we'll talk about Toronto. Patrick Maroon, 13 consecutive playoff series victories now. 13 successful series in a row for Patrick fucking Maroon. He's like Andre Vast. <laughs> Go ahead. He's the luckiest guy <laughs> on the planet, man. <laughs> like, think about this, right? Like Patrick Maroon's career. This is a guy who, obviously, like you look back to his time with the Ducks, the Oilers, the Devils, 
This man played for the Devils. Who remembers that aside from Devils fans? I don't. 16 games, 5 in the playoffs with New Jersey. I don't remember that at all. Me neither. Fucking weird. And then he goes to the Blues and now has, of course, spent the last three seasons on the Lightning and has committed to staying with the Lightning as well. Even in Edmonton, you got to play with McDavid. Like, McDavid turned him into, like, a 30-goal scorer or something like that. I have the stat here in front of me. 14 goals, 16 assists, 30 points with 57 games. That's pretty good. Well, no, 16, 16, 17. He played with Maru. He played with McDavid too, didn't he? And he had twenty-seven goals and forty-two points. Yeah, yeah. I knew. I knew there was a season in there where he had like a stupid amount of goals. Yeah. So (laughs) uh, as well, maroon with McDavid. (laughs) Oh my god! That's just the state of the Oilers at that point. It's fucking hilarious. All right. Anyway, sorry. (sighs) Andre Vasilevsky has now stopped two hundred and fifty-eight. Of 266 shots and nine series clinching wins since 2020. That is a 970 save percentage in series clinching victories. Ridiculous. Holy shit. And then some of the numbers that talk about how close this series was. Toronto's expected goals for 22.9. Tampa's 22.2. Say what you want about expected goals for, but just again, another way to look at it. Uh, The Leafs scored 24 goals. The Lightning scored 23 the Leafs had 216 shots. The Lightning had 215. <laughs> and the Leafs here, now it depends on if you count the qualifying round, but the Leafs are a, the first team in NBA, MLB, slash NHL history to lose a winner-take-all game in the opening round of the playoffs for now five consecutive years. From Jay Fresh, the probability of that happening is 1 in 27,778. The Leafs have now lost 10 consecutive games with the opportunity to close out a series in the Matthews-Marner era. The Leafs now have the longest cup drought in NHL history at 54 seasons and counting. Endo Mills, what is next for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Get rid of the old guys, call up the young talent, cycle them out, in and out, you're done. I don't think there needs to be a giant shakeup that I'm seeing people people call out for. I'm seeing guys who are like Habs fans, who are like Ottawa fans, teams that right now they're kind of in shambles and really have an identity, telling me that the Toronto Maple Leafs need to shake up and fire sale and get rid of all this top talent and everything like that. No, it's clearly shown that it's worked. Like they went, they went really. Really, really far with this team that are back-to-back champions. I'm going to say that. I think right now they're in a good position to go from. Like, last year, it was like you guys fucking blew it against the Habs. Now look Mm. where the Habs are. They're last. They don't have a goalie. They don't have Shea Weber. They don't have anything. Now it's you figured out. The disrespect to Sam Montembeau. Sorry, I had to. Monson, blow me, Jesus Christ! Like I'm just, I'm just trying to. We have a new episode title. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just trying to say the Leafs right now. They're in a very good position. Every Leafs fan's gonna be like, "Oh, they're a good spot." They are. We had the best season, best regular season on record. We had really good production from the team in the in the playoffs. It's just that a lot of stupid decisions were made by certain players. Mac, Alex Kerfoot, uh, and um, Justin Hall are probably gone. Or they are going to be crucified from day in, day out. 
we talked about this before uh, when you're uh, talking about this on stream. It's been like the, the, the defensemen or the scapegoats for this team were like Mike Commissarek, Jake Gardner, Justin Hall. Now it's like, who who's it going to be next? Because I'm gar- I'm guaranteeing you those guys are probably gone in the offseason. If they are there, there's going to be a big, like, you make a mistake, like, at all during a year, you're gone by the trade deadline. I don't think maybe they shake up that core. I really don't. People are saying, oh, get rid of this, trade Nylander and all that. I don't know. I don't know if I really want to get rid of them because they've produced completely. You have a steal and bunting who's going to get absolutely paid next year. Because he's on a he's on a two year deal. This is a, this is the second last year. So, and the next season, he's gone. He's gonna ask for a goddamn raise because he's he looks like a goddamn star out there, like Calder candidate. Like I don't know what they're gonna do. Like someone said that maybe they should put Morgan Riley up on the wing so they get rid of the chance for a winger and bring in a defenseman to the free agency. I don't know. I don't know what they're gonna do. I know right now they have to draft defensemen and goalies. That's what they need because they have Jack Campbell, who's gone. Technically speaking, he's not on payroll anymore. Uh, the backup for the goalies are Justin Wall or Joe Wall. Sorry, um, Chalgren, who's They're not going to be a starter. He's going to be like a like a backup. Um, trying to think what else we we just signed. Uh, was it Dryden McKay to an AHL deal, which is great. We have Hutchison. That's awesome. We have Huso. That's awesome. Not Huso, but what's his name? Uh, Hutton and uh, yeah, Hutchinson Hutton. are both uh, UFAs. <laughs> exactly. So they're gone. What are we going to do? I think Chalgren's going to stay. I think Wall's going to be there in the in, as well. Ian Scott, I don't think he's going to... He's just too injury prone. I don't know. Like It really makes you think so, about what the big key picture is. But I don't think them blowing it up completely is going to do anything whatsoever. If they lost in four, you blow it up. If you lose in yeah. seven in a close game with the way that it was, you say, you know what? We're going to keep it, and next year is the final year. Because you got so close. So close. And I know Hall is going to be the whipping boy because of what happened with that set pick play. And then people are going to look back into, oh, last game there was a there was this incident that happened with Matthews on Braden Point, and nothing happened there. Okay, stop living in the past. Every new game is a new experience. I don't care if it's the same refs. It's a new game. Every face-off draws a new action. Every face-off activity is a new action. Every goal, every period, every intermission. It's a reset. That's how you have to look at every single game as a reset. So I look at this team, and I completely agree. You don't blow it up. You don't get rid of any of the major pieces. Uh, my biggest takeaway from looking at the Leafs roster you know, yes, they have to worry about Mikheyev, uh, Kasha, and Engvall are RFAs. Gio Dano's, you know, his deal's up. You probably move Justin Hall. In goal, you got to move Peter Mrazek yep. if you want any shot of keeping Jack Campbell. And they do have, you know, all three of their first-round picks, and they'll probably have to give up one to get rid yep. of Peter Mrazek unless the team really does them a favor. Y- yeah, you still go for it. And again, my biggest takeaway is you look at this team, and I just don't think that Kyle Dubas has gotten it right with the proper supporting cast, the proper insulation mm-hmm. around the stars. Like, you know, for as as much as it was talked about, like, okay, Wayne Simmons only played two games. Yeah. Kyle Clifford played five minutes of game one, and that was it. Like, so the idea of, like, yeah, we're going to bring in this grit and toughness, you didn't elect to use it. Um, you know, yeah, Justin Hall had a pretty bad series, but 
you know, I, I look at the depth and I get he plays hard, but Colin Blackwell, Kerfoot, Engvall, Kasha, that to me is not the proper insulation around the star players that they needed in the bottom six, especially when you compare it uh, to who Tampa has been running in their bottom six, which right now on cap friendly, uh, Tampa's depth chart is listed as Stamkos, Sorelli, Kucherov, Palat, Paul, Kalorn, Hagel, Nash, Colton, Maroon, Belmar, Perry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously that's that's shifted a little bit with the Braden Point injury. We'll talk more about that in a second here too. But, I mean, again, like you're rocking Brandon Hagel on the third line. Ross Colton on the third line, who had a combined nine points between those two in the first round. It just comes down to that depth. Leafs didn't have it. Yeah, here's the issue, though. Their penalty kill unit, absolutely one of the best of the year. It's a power kill every time they're on the ice. Biggest issue yeah. is do you get rid of any of those people? Because on that, it's Dave yeah. Kampf, Kerfoot, Mikhaev, and Marner. Mikhaev absolutely camp. is has, I think, has the most like shorthanded goals on the team. It is insane. Yeah. When I saw him play back, uh, back in March, I think it was, dude's just a phenom on the ice. Every single time he gets up there, he's he's gunning for it, no matter what. So you have to re-sign Mikhaev. I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're gonna find a, a good deal if it's gonna be overpay or underpay. I don't think Mikhaev's gonna want underpayment. He already said before, I think earlier last year, he wanted to leave the team. He asked for a trade. And Duba yeah. said, like, we want to keep you here. If you want, upgrade your value, all that. His value is looking pretty goddamn good right now. Mm-hmm. He didn't make a lot of big mistakes this playoff series. He didn't make a lot of mistakes. He was out there just grinding. Now, Engvall, I think he I think he might be the first one to go. Might not get re-signed. I'd let him go. I mean, again, I think, you know, especially, too, if you move Kerfoot, there's the Mikheyev money. Mm-hmm. That way you keep Mikheyev in camp. And then, like, I'm sorry, I refuse to believe that you cannot find good cheap options to fill out that bottom six. Exactly. Whether it's internally with guys like Nick Robertson or from the outside looking in. I refuse to believe that they cannot find those players to sign for whatever amount. The problem is, you know, you look and it's like, okay, you're signing Justin Hall to $2 million. You gave Peter Morazic 3.8 and a gamble mm-hmm. that has absolutely backfired. You know, it's just the risks that Kyle Dubas has taken so far. It hasn't worked. Yeah. I see I see uh, Morazic being dealt for a first or a second. Um, mean if they somehow find the money to keep... Hmm? You mean with a first or a second, right? Because no one's paying a first or a second for Mrazic. Yeah, yeah, I said with, yeah. Oh, I thought you said four. No, no, no. Typical Leafs fan. <laughs> we'll get a, we'll get a fourth. We'll get a, like a fourth or can we'll get a future uh, future uh, considerations for him. You fucking take future considerations if you can get it. Fuck oh yeah. yeah, just or or to do back in the day, just give us cash instead. Those were crazy. Give us a printer. <laughs> Uh, but we'll I take think, your finest fax machine. Exactly. I think uh, Mrazic's gone f- with a first or a second. You're going to have, if they somehow find the money for, for Jack Campbell, they're going to have him there. They're going to, for goalies, they're going to use Wall and Chalgren, both interchangeably, just to relieve some some play out there. Because Joe Wall has done well over the, over in the, in the Marlies. Granted, they didn't make the playoffs this year, but that team was just... That team was just not cutting it. He looked good when he played here. He just had a 3-1-0 record. D- 
decent like save percentage, honestly, for a rookie who's just kind of thrown in there. <coughs> but that's what their goalie situation is going to be. When it comes to the defensemen, I don't know if they're going to be able to re-sign uh, wh- how much they're going to re-sign um, Lindgren and uh, Sandine for because their contracts are both up as well. They're RFAs. Keep the team together. Go for it again. Mm-hmm. Just get the right pieces in place. Sin, your thoughts really quick on the Leafs before we uh, talk about our, our final second round series and wrap up the show. Yeah, uh, for me, they shouldn't do anything, but I worry that they will. I'm talking about like a drastic change. I worry that they yeah. move one of the core pieces out. Um, they shouldn't. They absolutely should not. But fuck, dude, are they gonna what? Like they honestly may look at firing Dubis or Keith or like the Toronto media wants blood, and they always do. And in this situation, they're calling for it at the wrong time. And we've seen time and time again how willing the Leafs are to bend to what the media wants. And that's what I'm afraid of. I think the right move is not to make any major changes. Try to get better depth. Try to shed some cap while getting better depth. Like, that's tough. But, again, use your fucking picks. Like, get them out of there. You don't need to keep drafting in the early rounds. You have your young core. And, yeah, that's my that's my take on it. Because, and a little bit on the, on the topic of the penalty kill, I think you'll be fine with McAvoy and Marner as still core penalty kill guys. And yeah. you do not want to be relying on your penalty kill to produce offense or mm. saying like that is like, that's why you want to keep certain guys there because they're great at producing offense on the penalty kill or stuff like that. I think there's plenty of good penalty killers out there. You don't always have to have the strongest counterattack. You can have the threat out there, put McKayev on one unit, Marner on the other one. There you go. There's your speed threats to counterattack on the PK. Um, so yeah, I, I think, yeah, they need... They need more shutdown on the forward end. It's nice to see Matthews and Marner getting developing those two-way games, but they need a, an entire bottom six of guys who could do that. And when you Engvall, Kasha, those guys, those guys aren't guys who could do that. That's a third-line scoring line, and you don't need that. Mm-hmm. That brings us to our final preview here for the second round, the Sunshine State Showdown, as it's been called. We got the Battle of Alberta, and we got this. It is the Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. One note here for the Lightning. Braden Point, of course, injured, has been uh, noted as being doubtful for Game 1, day-to-day for the rest of the second round. But here's something interesting about the Florida Panthers, and I do not understand this. This comes from At 5 Reasons Sports, the number 5. Six of the possible Panthers games are up against possible Heat games. The only exception is Sunday, which is part of a Panthers playoff back-to-back. It's almost as if the NHL is actively sabotaging this market. There was a response from a Panthers fan. Well, nothing is going to be better for a struggling South Florida viewership than scheduling our games at literally the same time as by far the most popular and successful franchise in the area for the last 20 years. A reminder, the Heat are playing the fucking Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Final in the NBA, and the NHL has scheduled those Panthers games to go head-to-head with that. Those TV ratings are going to suck because people are... Very likely, you're not going to get any casual audience. They're going to be watching the Heat, period. They're going to be watching the Heat. Um, You know, we've talked a lot today about the NHL uh, and how backwards a lot of things are. And, yeah, here's another example. marketing is the worst. (laughs) Absolutely atrocious. 
You have a phenomenal team in the form of the Florida Panthers. Similar to the Arizona Coyotes, you have a phenomenal fan base that is consistently told to jump through fucking hoops just to enjoy this team. Scheduling is shit. The arena locations are shit. Like, again, it's and it only fuel, you know, adds fuel to the fire of this uh, misguided Southern bias that a lot, a lot of people have where they view it as these Southern teams, you know, getting favors to, to stick around when in reality it's fucking amazing they're still here. Uh, just based off of the, again, the challenges that they've had to overcome. So it, just incredible. Um, so misguided from the NHL here. In terms of the series itself, who the hell knows who's winning this one? I don't have a goddamn clue, but I am looking forward to this. Holy hell. <laughs> the team based in Florida is going to win. Sin, you are on mute for the moment here, and if you were trying to get a word. <laughs> oh, I am. Don't worry about it. Uh, it happens to us all, yeah. buddy. Um, at least it didn't happen to me during an ECL cast. Ayo. Uh, <laughs> um, Numerous times, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just saying, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's going to be. I, I this, this is the one I want to watch, like, as well as the, uh, like, it's going to be these two. I'm going to watch the Battle of Florida, and I'm watching the Battle for Alberta, because they got the greatest narratives. Mm. And that's the yep. way it fucking should be, NHL. Don't schedule it. At- oh, my God. Anyway. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, Sin, your take. Who's who's winning this? Who do you want to win? Is that an easier question to, a- to answer? I I'm want not sure. Florida to win. Just mm. like I wanted the Leafs to win, but I'm not fucking betting against Tampa. It points a big X factor. That injury looked gnarly. They're saying doubtful game one, then day to day. I I highly doubt he comes back before game four or five. So depends on how many injections he gets. Yeah. And, uh... It looked like a muscle injury to me, though. Like the way it kind of went. I guess you can, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. He uh, that's going to be big because he's a big player. But obviously, Tampa's got a shit ton of depth. They beat they beat uh, the Leafs without point from the majority of that game, and with Kucherov visibly hurt and playing very limited minutes. So. Tampa fucking finds a way. I'm not betting against them. <laughs> I want Florida to advance. I want Jumbo to win a cup. But I my bet's on Tampa six or seven. Endo Mills. I'm thinking uh, Tampa in six, uh, Florida in seven. I'm going to go with Florida in six. Um, yeah, I think over the course of a series – you know, granted, yes, the pressure is on Florida, but I just can't help but think like the pressure on Florida. You know, it's going to be there, but the Lightning, how tired are they going to be? Yeah, that was we a asked that series. before. How tired are they going to be? You're now having to take on you know the fucking Florida Panthers without Braden points. It just if Tampa wins this, my God, you know, yeah. It's the only way I can view it. Like, my God, if the Lightning manage to win this. Boys, with that, I think we're good. It's our uh, longest show there for a while. We had a little side discussion that was unplanned. Actually, not really unplanned in a sense. I mean, we planned to talk about Obi's comments in yeah. a sense. But the first round is over. The conversation's out there. One of the best first rounds in the history of the playoffs. I agree with that take. Yeah. I mean, pretty hard to disagree with it. You kind of had a bit of everything. So many game sevens. Um, yeah. 
And it was ex- a lot of highlights too, man. But yeah, that. Whew, that that Tampa Toronto series, man, that was the one that I watched every game of. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, when I could, at least I was flipping back and forth because it was the same night as the uh, the Bruins. Yeah, but I got to watch a lot of that series, thankfully, because like the seven o'clock, seven thirty start times that helped out quite a bit. So, very much looking forward to it. We will be back, uh, I do believe, this Thursday. Uh, for yet another show, and we'll talk about the opening couple of games of the series. Of course, there is no hockey tonight, but tomorrow, oh. Lightning and Panthers start, God. Blues and Avs, and Wednesday, Rangers, Canes, Oilers, and Flames. So we'll be able to talk about game one from each of those two series, and we'll see how the action gets underway. For now, though, we'll call it. Endo Mills, what do you got going on? Um, I get a week off from working for you, so that's great. Uh, Yay. It's, it's awesome. Um, I, I've been looking into getting into more streams going on uh, on my YouTube and Twitch. Uh, I figured, fuck it, I'm just going to multi-stream. If they get rid of my affiliate on Twitch, who gives a flying fuck? I don't get subs anyway, so what's the point? You can find me on uh, YouTube uh, over at youtube.com slash C slash bunch of numbers. Uh, you should look up Endo Mills. I'm there. I'm present. And, First name, you know, bunch Twitch, of numbers. Yeah, first name, bunch of numbers. That's me. And Twitter, all that. Yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. Sin for the win. What do you got going on, my friend? Um, Yeah, still obviously on YouTube side of things, Sin for the Win Productions, on Twitter at SinFTWProd, and on Instagram at Paul Cinders, as well as on Spotify now, with my single that just dropped, which I'm very excited about, and it's actually doing quite well. I've almost got 100 monthly listeners now on my Spotify, which is fucking wild because I've only put music up for about the last month or so. And I'm, mm. I appreciate everyone who's come to check that out. But yeah, uh, stream my single day by day because I think it's pretty fucking good. And I did it all myself. <laughs> there you go. You can find me everywhere at 2K24, everybody, of course. The streams, the, the YouTube side of things, all that fun stuff. Again, we will be back on Thursday where we will respond to the hate that we get over questioning hockey culture. Just three soy boys on this podcast of ours thinking people care about our opinions. We need Tyson Nash on this podcast. (laughs) Fuck Tyson Nash. (laughs) Wait, hold on. I think I still have my thing. Hold on. Will this part stay in the podcast, or will I cut it? That's the question. We're going to see how good this fucking thing is for Mendo. This, yep, this, here we are. This better be good, I was going to grab my Tyson Nash doll that I had, but I fucking threw it out. I think I think, I think, think either I threw it or Polina threw it out. I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, that, take that, was worth that it. Tyson Nash. Yep, take that. We think you're not good. How do you feel? We're nobodies. About how do you feel about criticism on the internet, Tyson? <laughs> you ever get that? Because we do every day. Probably in a smaller sample size. But then again, he commentates for the Coyotes. Bam! Fuck the Southern Markets. NHL. 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 More NHL. Canadian teams. <laughs> Gary Bettman, get out of there and stop fucking ruining the league. I don't even know where we're going with this. Manscaped.com, code Tiggy. We love you all. Goodbye. <laughs> Solid. Solid.